A memorial that had been in place at the crash site near the South Perimeter and Brady Road landfill where Ethan Boyer died four years ago is gone. His parents discovered it over the weekend. They want to know who took it and why they joined us to tell us more. Also on Brady Road, today is the deadline for demonstrators to move out. Otherwise, police are moving in. Bob Irving joined us to discuss the latest Blue Bombers victory. The 40th anniversary of the Gimli Glider is coming up on July 22nd. We had a fascinating conversation about that. And we asked you and had lots of fun with your favorite wacky commercials. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Monday, July 10th podcast for The Start. Good morning. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off once again this week. And a busy weekend indeed with the Winnipeg Folk Fest wrapping up. We had a wonky bomber game on Friday. What was going through your head, by the way, Mackling at IG Field during what was... Uh, when I looked, checked the score, I thought, oh my goodness. And with then the, later on in the game, things obviously got better, but... <laughs> with about three minutes left in the first half, it was 11-1 to 1 for the BC Lions. And of course, they do the halftime show, host the halftime show at, with Ed Tate to give Derek and Doug a little bit of a break. And it's 11-1, and I'm going, how do I get on there and go, this is even worse than two weeks ago against BC? <laughs> One point in the first half. And then Greg McRae scored an outstanding touchdown, long 68-yard touchdown reception that really flipped the script and gave the Blue Bombers all the momentum, and then the defense held the fort. I was nervous. In a word, I was nervous and concerned that the uh, offense was unable to do a lot of the things that they wanted to do in that first half in particular. But the Blue Bomber defense, we'll discuss this later on this morning with Bob Irving, but the defense starting to look, I won't use the word dominant yet, but they seem to be finding their way. Good. That's good. So once again, Bob Irving joining us at 835 to talk some football. And then a bit later at 935... There is a, a pretty significant anniversary coming up uh, for a major event that occurred right here in Manitoba. It's almost hard to believe that it's 40 years ago, July 22nd, that the Gimli Glider found its way to the shores of Lake Winnipeg, to the abandoned, well, <laughs> supposedly abandoned, and that's part of the story, the old Gimli, the old Gimli Airport, which eventually became the Gimli Dragways and uh, Race Strip. If you ever went to Sunfest, that's where Sunfest was held. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> an abandoned run, runway, which uh, became famous around the world due to the actions of Captain Bob Pearson, like I say, 40 years ago, July 22nd. So we'll head to Gimli and find out uh, not only about the museum up there, but also what they're planning to do in order to celebrate and to honor uh, the heroic actions of the flight crew uh, back in 1983. So that's coming up at 935. We've got Bob Irving at 835, the Gimli Glider at 935, and then looking at the other 35 at 735, we're going to be joined by Global Nationals David Aiken on something that Sarah touched on, and, and that's the NATO Summit. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Canada, a figure to be more prominent, shall we say, than Canada has been in the past at NATO as the Russia's war on Ukraine continues. Lots of conversation around that. Ukraine, of course, has its hand up and says we want to be a part of NATO. Their application process certainly will be on the front burner. So we'll visit with David, who's in Riga, Latvia, with the Prime Minister today on their way to Lithuania for that NATO conference. And I just wanted to quickly mention this before I forget, because I am a forgetful person. Uh, but I wanted to offer thanks to, well, starting with you, our listeners, and thanks to all involved in the Pritchard Memorial Golf Tournament, which took place Saturday at Carmen Golf and Curling Club. And I say thanks to you, our listeners, because we, we, we could just see, as we were looking at the online auction at PritchardMemorial.ca, we could recognize names of our listeners. 
all over that page. So you were going to the page to 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 bid on these pri- amazing prizes so they can raise money for cancer care treatment in Manitoba. Last year they raised $95,000. Not sure yet what they raised this year. We'll hopefully get an update on that in the next couple of days, but it was um it was unlike any golf tournament I've ever participated in. There were over 300 people playing, but the, the sense of, uh, I, I got a real sense of community that this is a, it's a big group, but they were all there uh, to, to support this cause and support this family in honor of Mike Pritchard. And uh, yeah, it was just, a, it was an amazing, amazing day. And I got to play with these four uh, youngsters. So we, we, we went out in groups of eight and so was me, uh, Chris, co-owner of Brazen Hall, and a guy named Tom and his son Everett. Uh, Tom, who's been in every one of these events, 26 years, he says. And then we got paired with these four 21, 22-year-olds. Uh, and one of, them's, one, of the, one of their names was Rhett, spelled R-H-E-T-T. <laughs> so I spent all day con- like, are you talking to me? Oh, you're talking to Rhett. Okay. So Rhett, Matt, Scotty, and Colby. Four great kids uh, who just made the day super fun. It was we and for the the older guys in the group like like me, we were all kind of giggling the whole time. It was like we were looking through time and living vicariously. Going, I remember what it was like to be twenty one, twenty two, <laughs> and it was a blast. Isn't it incredible to imagine that five of the eight of you that were golfing together on Saturday were not born when this golf tournament was was initiated yep. and what staying power and to have one of their biggest tournaments 26 years later, what a testimony to the community of Carmen, but also the overall community of Manitoba coming together for this cause, because quite often these memorial tournaments and these annual tournaments can lose steam over time. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're finding just, they're, they might be just getting started down there in Carmen. Yeah, it was a huge, huge event. And Ed Belfort was there too, which was kind of neat. He was on one of the par threes and he would tee off first. And then if he had the best ball, then we could use his shot. Nice. So that was kind of neat. So, did you end up using his? or No. Or yours? No, we did or? a little bit better. I, I think we might... I couldn't have been mine. <laughs> I, I, I didn't play very well. <laughs> did not. How long were you on the course? Uh, it was a, it was a bit of a it was a good day. It was almost uh, we were just shy of I think eight hours. Uh, the the groups in front of us. Let's just say we're having a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> so love it. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off for the next week. And just a heads up before we head to Brady Road, we uh, just need to mention this from Liz, that fish flies have arrived in Winnipeg Beach. How long do they last? Is it about a week, 10 days? I can remember doing interviews and stories on this years ago when they were particularly bad up uh, in the interlake in particular on the on the west side of Lake Winnipeg but I know they get them on the east side as well and I, I imagine well I know that they get them on the shores of Lake Manitoba as well so what, what what's the fish fly season and how bad are they so far let us know yeah fish flies or mayflies whatever they're called I think they're they they're they're weird because their life cycle is it can be uh I think it can be I think it's like year? one day. Oh, well, the, the life cycle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because, it, because they're, they're in the larvae stage sure. for a long time. But then when they come out, uh, looks like the, the life, the lifespan is life between span, two yeah. weeks to two years, but the adults will basically live for a day. A day. Yeah. So their whole lifespan is, is to, to, to come alive, find a mate and then die. In other words, just keep the species alive. Pretty much. Yeah, it's a very noble life, it's even a, even if it is a pain in the neck for for those uh, up in that part of the of the province because they can be really, really bad. Yeah, I remember golfing at Granite Hills out in Lac du Bonnet, or is it Lac du Bonnet? And um, there were billions of them. 
one one year just it, everything was covered it was neat but it was it was also felt like i was in the middle of some sort of a biblical plague do they have to in some places don't they have to use heavy equipment to remove them from certain spots i would imagine so <laughs> it's so plentiful <laughs> yikes anyway give us the fish fly report 204-780-6868 the things that we deal with and and love and love to hate in manitoba we want your feedback this morning now, uh, protest continues at the Brady Landfill, but things could change today at noon. Global's Catherine Dornian reports. Protesters have been here since Thursday when the Manitoba government announced they would not lead the search of the Prairie Green Landfill for the remains of two Indigenous women. The city has ordered protesters to leave by noon on Monday, but people at the blockade say they aren't going anywhere. There was absolutely something that could have been done with the provincial government denying to move forward with the search, but instead put a memorialization on top of the landfill, saying that it's okay for that landfill to remain a gravesite. It's telling everyone else that it's okay. Cambria Harris, daughter of Morgan Harris, is out of patience with the province after they said they would support a memorial at the landfill, but they would not risk workers' health and safety in a search. Morgan Harris is believed to be in the Prairie Green landfill along with Mercedes Myron. Jeremy Skibicki is charged with first-degree murder in their deaths, as well as the deaths of Rebecca Contois, who was found in the Brady landfill last year, and Buffalo Woman, who remains unidentified. The federal government is reviewing the study, saying the landfill search is feasible and would cost $184 million. Cambria Harris says the blockade is the direct result of the province's lack of action. You can thank yourself for this mess. You brought this upon yourself. We've played by your books. We've done everything you've told us to from the very beginning. Protesters say they've been dealing with hostility, including a man this morning who dumped soil on their red dress mural and threatened some protesters with violence. But according to Diane Bousquet, it's a sign that racism is still prevalent in Manitoba and reaffirms her commitment to this protest. It's a proud moment. Because these are the movements that are going to make change. Several protesters saying they are prepared to stand up to police when they arrive. Winnipeg police have refused to comment on what actions they plan to take. Catherine Dornian, Global News. So we see, heard from uh, Cambria Harrison that story, and she talks about the lack of action or the, you know, the declaration in fact, from the province of Manitoba and the premier last week, saying that the province won't be involved in any full-scale search of, of Prairie Green landfill. What I'd like to get some more information on, Brett, is the level of engagement. It's one thing about the level of action. What I want to know a little bit more about is how did this decision arise and who was at the table? Who are part of those conversations? And then I can have a, a genuine a, a opinion on this situation. I, I know how I would feel if it was any one of my family members uh, buried in either one of those landfill sites, I would do be doing everything I could to get action and a resolution that suited me. But I also would like to hope that I would be in a position to sit down and, and listen and contemplate all the intricacies, all the logistics involved in making something happen that, that I was dedicated to seeing happen. One of our listeners weighed in the other day, uh, I'm not going to name this listener, but they they made a compelling point here saying, can you imagine taking the money that would be used for the search and instead putting it towards uh, dedicating it, for example, to a safe space for Indigenous women or treatment centers or educational facilities, grief counseling. Uh, it's a difficult, the listener says this is a, was a difficult decision for the province and for the premier, but if you do take that money and put it towards mental health programs uh, to prevent people from getting to a point where they would take someone else's life, I, I'm the same as you. I don't, I'm not in this situation, so it's tough for me to, to speculate how I would feel if it was a loved one of mine in that landfill. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Situation right now. All those things you listed, very noble causes. How do we come to that agreement? How do we, how do we as a community, uh, not one community dictating to another, this is what we're going to do, but communities coming together and go, yes, this is what makes sense. This is how, if we have this much money, quote unquote, available for this project, 
what are the values of perhaps consider considering redirecting in that that money to the things that you just laid out, Brett? Who's at the table? Who's making that decision? That's my question. You can uh, let us know at 204-780-6868 what you think. And actually at 705, Greg, we're heading towards that same spot for a different reason. Yeah, speaking of memorials, a memorial that's been in place for almost four years now has disappeared. It's been removed. We'll tell you about that. We'll speak with the parents of Ethan Boyer. Ethan Boyer Way, of course, connects Waverly Street South with Brady Road, and that road was constructed because of an accident which took the life of Ethan Boyer. That memorial, no signs of it. It was like it was never there. We'll we'll try and uh, get to the bottom of that mystery, and uh, we're asking for your help if you happen to know what happened there. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. Right now, we want to talk about wacky commercials because this popped up on one of Greg's timelines over the weekend. It's a real <laughs> commercial from 2011 or 2012. So just have a listen to the Roller Kingdom. Hey, kid, would you like some drugs? The first one is free. <laughs> want to check out my van? I got some candy. Hey, kid, want to join our gang and spray paint under a bridge? No! No! Bug off, man! I'm going roller skating! So they, they're they going roller skating. Now the kids play in for a minute here. I want to be addicted to roller skating, not crap. Yeah. Because we're going to today. We will go to college tomorrow. Prison is full of people that have never roller skated. Prison is for people who have never roller skated. <laughs> it's a commercial that was created by like a comedy team, but they used it yes. for this roller kingdom in <laughs> Reno, Nevada. And why not? Can you disprove any of the things said in that uh, in that commercial? Well, I'm not sure. It'd be can. difficult. <laughs> so, for a chance to win tickets for the Bomber game on Thursday, July 20th against Edmonton, tell us about your favorite wacky commercial, and we'll pick a winner at 9:15. So, Greg, let's start with you, sir. Okay. So, um, my affection for all things Winnipeg is not limited to sports teams. It includes the late. Great K-Tel. And of course, they had wacky and goofy uh, commercials for all their crazy, crazy products, including their compilation albums. K-Tel presents Goofy Great. 24 funky hits by the original stars, Ohio Express. Yummy, 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 I got love in my tongue. <laughs> Brian Holland. And itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow polka dot the key. Hollywood Argyle. Look at that cake, man, go. Teen Fruit Gum Company. And you will never be out. Surfing Birds. Nashville Cat, Bread and Butter, Bonnie Maroney, and many more. Remember, Shirley Ellis. Shirley, Shirley, Bo Burley, Bonanna, Pineapple, Burley. Larry Burke. Please, <laughs> Mr. Custer. The Royal Guardsman. Put the bear in shutting down. Curses Wilder Get Goofy Greats, 24 of the world's greatest novelty hits by the original stars. $5.99 from KTEL. Tape $6.99. So before there were those much music compilation albums and CDs... There was KTEL right out of Winnipeg, and that's the voice of the legendary Bob Washington, Winnipegger, Winnipeg broadcasting legend. Goofy greats. There's an, we're talking about goofy commercials, and you found one that has the word goofy in it. That's excellent. Um, okay, Cam and Fortier, <laughs> I think they've got something going on. They, they, they know each other's commercials somehow. Yeah. So, Cam... Do you want to start? No, I, I want Fortier to go first because I, I think I know what he's going to do and I want to have a follow-up. Okay, well, it, this is a PSA from the 90s for kids and, like, you know, for them to find a hobby, what is their thing? <laughs> and yes, yes Cam, Cam knows what I I'm talking it. about here. So. What's your thing? Bugs. Everybody's got to have a thing. My thing's sound effects. Here's a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> And me and Cam quote that kid all the time. It was just, it, it was just a, a strange thing. It, it, oh, and this, this. Mom, Mom, Aiden, come in, have a game. It was Everybody's got to have a thing. Yeah. 
And just kids a tuba. He's into tuba. What are they advertising? Yeah, it's, what is it, the it's PSA? A, it's, it's a PSA about you. Everybody's got to have a thing. What, what's your hobby? What's your thing? And hmm. so, what? Don't judge me for what my yeah. Might that one kid's a sound effect. He's sitting in his. He's in. He's got lockers around him. He's in his hallway. And he goes like he like makes a noise like that. And other kids into magic. And other kids into bugs. You know, everyone's got to have a thing. Was it Michael Winslow? Was that the guy that was on Police Academy? He could do all the different sounds. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, don't quash on the dreams of a budding Michael Winslow. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't be a crusher. So, yeah, these were all PSAs. There was other ones. There was uh, Astar, the robot from Planet Danger. He can yes. put his arm back on. Oh, but you yes. can't. Uh, so play safe. Uh, House Hippo is a classic one. Don't believe everything you see on television. Mm-hmm. And then there was this... Just absolute, uh, or, or the TV, I can put, you know, the, the, the TV, I can go outside and play where he's outside anyways, the television. And here's another one. Heck, don't you put it in your mouth, uh-uh. Till you ask someone you love, that's right, sis. If it's okay to eat, if it's okay to eat, like a muffin or a beet. Like a muffin or a beet. the beat. If you don't know <laughs> just what it is, remember, boys and girls, don't put it in your Don't do it. Yeah, that was my backup as well. And what the heck are those? They're they're, they're like these blue, fluffy mascot characters. Yeah, I don't know why they're like blue monsters uh, singing. And then like the beats and the the muffins and stuff start singing along. And hey, I remember it though. Like, Mm -hmm. like, listen, it's stuck in my memory my entire life. So obviously it worked for something. Sarah, what about you? This one stuck with me for the same for similar reasons. So this is more of a song, um, and if you don't recognize it, I'll explain it after though. So it's for Yope, those drinkable yogurts, and they're walking around all tired, and they're. Mouths are like really big. I don't, it was <laughs> Mouths creepy. are like going on yeah. with their own singing the song. Porche sings this one to me all the time, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I also had this as a backup as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> I was, con- I, I didn't I was know, convinced I'd stay awake. I didn't if know I drank yogurt these. like got you <laughs> up so and ready fun. for the morning. It was like tea or coffee. Was, now you know. Now but I you know what? I asked for it after I saw this and showed up in the it fridge for a couple you? days later. Yeah, Nothing like marketing to kids. <laughs> What about you, McGarry? Well, I'll just press play on this from the 90s. Hurt? I cannot rip out the hearts of those who hurt you. But I can hunt them down and settle the score. I'll squeeze them for every dime I can. Every single dime. I'm Jim the Hammer Shapiro. But I cannot proceed until you call. 1-800-546-7777. 1-800-546-7777. You call I Hammer. Jim the Hammer Shapiro, the injury lawyer from, was it Rochester, New York? I think it was Rochester. And, yeah, uh, yeah he, the greater Buffalo area. He sues drunks. He will get every penny out of those out of somebody who causes you harm. I think they they even uh, advertise with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, <laughs> really? I, I think oh, this so, yeah. is a big time enterprise. Yeah. Selena and Barnes, another classic Selena uh, and Barnes. from that area. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. The gift of uh, American television. Well, and, there, and actually, now that you mentioned Selena and Barnes, I seem to remember a point where it was just one of them. Like, one of them disappeared. <laughs> yes. yes. And then he came yeah. back. I think it's because he had been disbarred or he was he was under investigation for something. <laughs> oh, boy. It was like just several it was, years. It was just Barnes. Yeah, for a, like a, I don't know, it was a cup of coffee, and then Salino came back. I want to know, yeah, what happened? There was a little bit of a suit situation there, where the name on the door was changing on a rotating basis regularly. Maybe there was internal strife. Or may, and may, maybe yeah, I, I probably shouldn't talk about or speculate about what happened with lawyers. They're uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably listening right now. Or have somebody listening on their behalf. Uh, oh, he was Salino was suspended for six months. <laughs> I'm looking okay. at it right now. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, but we're not stopping the commercials. Damn it! <laughs> the we Spice must flow. <laughs> what <laughs> happened to Salino and Barnes? <laughs> People also ask. Our next guests are looking for your help following the removal of a memorial to their son. Ethan Boyer was killed in October of 2019 when the vehicle he was driving was hit from behind by truck driver Samuel Mandel, who pleaded guilty to careless driving, causing death 
in December of 2021. Boyer's death has resulted in several changes on the stretch of the south perimeter near Brady Road where the crash occurred, including a new access road which runs parallel south of the highway from the controlled intersection at Waverly Street to the city of Winnipeg's Brady Road landfill. That service road, Brett, is named Ethan Boyer Way. Joining us now, Susan Zook Boyer and Dana Boyer. Susan, good morning. Good morning. And Dana, hello there. Thank you for joining us. Morning, Brett and Greg. So, Susan, let's start with you. Why don't you first um, just tell us about the memorial? Well, um, we put the memorial up, as you'd said, after Ethan had passed at that intersection. And um, we used his hockey sticks that were in the car at the time as he was uh, planning on going to hockey that evening. And uh, we used that as a marker for that site. And over the years, we've added some things. We had a mat there. I had a stone uh, with Ethan's name on it put there. And and we had a little bit of uh, solar lights. And we would go there you know, on uh, Mother's Day, on Ethan's birthday, although that was February, so it was pretty cold. But uh, and this and uh, October on his uh, death date, and you know, people would drive by and they'd always say, "Oh, you know, we thought of Ethan today." So was it, it's uh, it helps us in our healing process and our grieving. So so yeah. So Dana, do you want to explain why we were there yesterday? Yeah. How did you discover it was gone, Dana, Susan, whoever wants to take that? We were headed to a family. Uh, birthday party in LaSalle with our family friends or four at our family friends residence. And we had a sign made a more permanent sign than the one we originally made a metal one. And we had some white backing on it so you could see it better. And we were going to mount it onto the hockey sticks that formed the cross. And uh, when we pulled up, uh, I just thought I couldn't see it because of the tall grass. And so I started backing up and I said, Oh, Sue said, Oh, there it is. I said, Oh, okay. You know, I must've missed it which is quite surprising because normally I can pick it up. And she says it's gone. And I was first very stunned. Um, It's far enough off the roadway that it shouldn't be anywhere near where they cut the grass on the side of the road. I mean, we did that kind of on purpose. And, yeah, we were going to mount the new sign on there and, and, um, you know, spruce it up a bit. Like, we try not to let it go too long without a visit. And... Every time I'm on my motorcycle, I make a point of going down there to uh, to go there. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, you know, excuse the expression, but it was freaking gone. Um, it, it, the mat and the, the flowers and the um, solar lights were, you know, I wasn't really thinking straight because I was very confused. And then Sue said, but Ethan's sticks are gone. And that was that was a gut punch. I'll be honest, Sue was wandering around thinking somebody might have just grabbed it and pitched it out into the ditch someplace. But, you know, the, uh, broke my heart to see her wandering out there. She was she was in tears. She was crying. Well, Susan, and, and the, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Susan. I was just going to say that, you know, the hockey sticks were put in. Dana made, uh, had put it, attached them to like a, a metal pole. So they had to be three feet into the ground, like this pole that was attached. So somebody had to really move it out and if if somebody moved it like whether it's the city whether it's the town of la salle whether it's somebody else that came along and thought it needed to be moved there's so many ways to get in touch with us and let us know we would have we would have removed it if 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 somebody would have called us right absolutely susan i hear you the emotion in your voice uh, two quick questions dana i'll ask you just so so susan can uh, just uh take a moment there was there anything was there anything found any pieces of the memorial found ar- around the the spot where where it had been like was there evidence that it was destroyed or or was it does it appear as though it was meticulously m- removed for lack of better terminology it's a, that's what it looks like, uh, Greg. It looks like it was meticulously removed. There was one. The only thing I found, besides the um, uh, those solar lights, you know, they get the pegs that go on the ground. Right. I saw one of them. I never thought to pick it up. Because um, Ethan and both Ethan Reed and, well, us, we, I hate littering. So every time we go there, we try and clean up. But there is a picture that I posted on Facebook. That it's a little plastic um, um, piece that he, Sue had bought. And we we stuck it in the ground. Uh, it's got like a little plastic peg on it, and it that was the only thing that was left. The, so they obviously, I don't know, knocked it over, 
broke it off trying to pull it out. I don't know. But but the bar that was driven into the ground had to be, I don't know, about three feet. But it was definitely in the ground. It's not something that you could just grab with your one hand and pull up. Sure. Unless you're maybe like Conan the Barbarian sort of thing. So, Susan, you mentioned yeah. the fact, you know, the town of La Salle or the city of Winnipeg. Do you know whose property this memorial was on? Because the city of Winnipeg, does have a bylaw which restricts the, the the amount of time these memorials can be in place. And according to my research, it's it's one year, but this has been here almost four years now. Yeah, we did also the research where my family did the research when I said that I was devastated. Um, and yeah, there is a thing that says that uh, it can only be there a year, but it also states that they try and get in touch with the family. And, you know, not that we're super popular people, but it's easy to just Google your friend, Google our name, sure. Google Ethan's name, Google the intersection. Something will come up that you could easily get in touch with us. And like I said, we would have been happy to remove it. We wouldn't be happy. We would have removed it. Um, but uh, and but been sad, but we would have still gone there as a family every on those other occasions. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know who removed it. I don't know. And and Dana and Reed were there two weeks ago, so it was definitely there two weeks ago. And we've got family and friends that go by all the time, and they always say, "Oh, we saw Ethan sight today." You know, we said hi to E for you, and you know that kind of stuff. And you know, we even had we went to a median and uh, she had said that uh, Ethan told us that he was happy to see that our memorial there because he wanted he now wants people to know to slow the f down right and be be aware so you know it's just devastating like i'm I'm hoping it was done uh for a reason and not maliciously i don't know i I, i'm looking for your listeners to kind of maybe somebody knows something or someone that was there or saw something or driving by i mean it's a busy place so hoping we somebody could help us well, Susan, thank you very much for bringing this to our attention. We're so, we're terribly sorry to hear uh, this has happened. So hopefully, we'll be able to figure this out and and get some of that stuff back to you. Thanks. That would be just, awesome. Thanks, guys. Susan, th- thank you. Yeah, I just want to say, all we want back is his hockey sticks. All the other stuff is replaceable, but his sticks aren't. So, and I want to thank you guys at CGOB for taking this on for us and and trying to help us. Of course, Susan. Absolutely. Susan Zuck-Boyer and Dana Boyer, the parents of Ethan Boyer. And we have reached out to the city of Winnipeg. Brett sent a message to them this morning to find out if that city property, if this uh, memorial may have been removed by the city. Once again, if you have any idea, if you witnessed anything, 204-780-6868 on our text line. Thanks again to Susan Zuck-Boyer and Dana Boyer for joining us live on 680 CJOB. It is Mackling and McGarry, McNabb's off this week for a chance to win bomber tickets for Thursday, July 20th against Edmonton. We're asking you to tell us about your favorite wacky commercials inspired by this ad from 2012 for Roller Kingdom in Reno, Nevada, where the kids say, I don't want to be addicted to meth. I want to be addicted to roller skating. <laughs> it's, a real, it's a real commercial. I think it was made for the purposes of comedy, but they used it as a commercial. And uh, we're getting all kinds of good stuff here, Mackling. This comes from listener Sandy. This is for something called the East Hills Shopping Center. Apparently it was made for 300 bucks. Uh, might show. East Boots and pants and boots and pants. New shoes. Get yourself an outfit. You got outfit. the idea. <laughs> boots wow. and pants and boots oh. and pants. Haircuts. Oh, Still going. Yeah. So you can get boots, pants, haircuts, and shoes at the East Hill Shopping Center. That's a terrible commercial. Well done, Sandy. Thank you for sharing. We have bomber tickets to give away, and this morning we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about a wacky commercial that you like. And this one from James, starring a cast full of Vikings as they are going through their plunder. A lot of folks demand more than just a sweet treat. That's why they go for Cadbury Wonder Bar. Wonder Bar is peanut butter. Wonder Bar! <laughs> wrapped in smooth caramel. Wonder Bar! 
and covered in Cadbury's Wonderbar! delicious chocolatey coating. Cadbury Wonder Bar tastes Wonder Bar. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the commercial. Yeah. I remember that one. That was my brother Kevin's favorite chocolate bar was Wonder Bar. So we love that commercial in our house back in the 70s. Good one. Good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know that I've ever actually had a Wonder Bar now that I think of it. 204-780-6868. Your favorite wacky commercial for a chance to win tickets for the Bomber game on Thursday, July 20th. And... Speaking of the Bombers, they won their second consecutive game for the second time in 2023, sandwiched between those two winning streaks, a loss at the hands of the BC Lions. So let's take you back to Friday night, shall we? The Stampeders are leading the game 11-1 to until this play, with just 138 remaining in the second quarter. Four-man rush, pump, Kolaris wants deep, he's got McCray wide open, 35, Greg McCray, can he beat Dozier to the end zone for the touchdown? Pumped it to the outside and hit him deep, and the Bombers are back within one. And just like that, lightning strikes, Greg McCray gets in a running race down the left sideline, wins it easily. Zach Kolaris, pump fake to the check down, and then boom, over the top to Greg McCray, hits him in stride. Out of nowhere, the offense finally gets into gear, catches fire for the major. Of course, it was 11-4 to at that point. Six points made it 11-10. The Sergio Castillo point after attempt was successful. 11-11 at half. Bob Irving joins us now, and Bob... Welcome back. It's been far too long since we've spoken to you, but as Yogi Berra once said, it seemed like deja vu all over again on home turf for the Blue Bombers for most of that first half, you know, in comparison to that BC loss just a couple of weeks ago. How critical was that touchdown, Bob? Well, it's shifted the momentum in the game, I think, Greg, for sure. The Bomber offense was was struggling, and, you know, Calgary has a very good defense. Their defensive front and their front seven arguably as good as any in the league. I was talking to some of the fans during the course of the game. I sat in the stands for the first game. I sat in the stands for the full game. And, you know, people were restless. What's wrong with the offense? Why can't they get going? And I said, well, you know, Calgary's pretty good, and they're probably throwing some things at the Bombers that they weren't expecting. It'll maybe take them a while to get uh, to get rolling. And that play just, you know, ignited the crowd. It ignited, I think, the team. Uh, and then McCray, of course, had another sensational play on the missed field goal return that had a huge impact on the game. I find, uh, and I found this on Friday more than ever before, the expectations for this team are so high that when you know they go through a period like this game, and I know it brought back memories of the BC game, where you know things aren't going well offensively, people get, you know, the question they ask is, what's wrong? Well, there's nothing wrong. There are other teams in this league that are pretty good and they're capable in periods of time of kind of shutting the Bombers down, which is what happened the other night. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's 24-11 Winnipeg. They're 4-1, and one, another win over Calgary. I think that's seven in a row at home over Calgary now. It just took them a while to get going, that's all. No, well, Greg McRae, uh, here's an example. Uh, we were just going to play some uh, audio here. We're, uh, he's really taking advantage of his opportunities like this. As we mentioned and Christian told us, Janarian Grant was getting work on the sidelines. He is not the returner deep in the end zone for this Paredes attempt. It is up, and it is short to the right. Going to dance around. That is McRae. Can he get the corner? He's going to try it. 5, 10, 15, 20. McRae, 25. Nobody hold anybody. 35, 40, 45. Cut back to the near side. Oh, my goodness. 50, 40 blockers in front. Stop and dance around a man, and he's brought down at the 13-yard line. No flags on the field. Thank goodness. What a huge return play on the missed field goal attempt. Greg McRae has the big touchdown catch, an enormous return, and the offense is in the red zone already. So, Bob, this is a player who is not always a fixture in the prolific Blue Bomber offense. How good is he? Uh, Brett, he was with them last year, uh, played a few games, and going into this season, I know Buck Pierce, the offensive coordinator, really likes McCray. He's got terrific speed. He's a hardworking guy. Everybody on the team, you know, has a fondness for him. But how do you get him on the roster with the depth of American talent they have at the receiver position? Well, they were able to play him in this game and the game before. 
And you've seen what he can do. He's got tremendous speed. On that return, it's interesting. I thought he was just killing some time dancing around in the end zone. He was eventually going to concede a single point. And then I think he saw that he could get around the corner. And once he did that, he turned on his speed and had that uh, sensational return. He just simply ran out of gas or he just scored a touchdown on it. But again, he's a player that they'd love to play every week. Uh, whether or not they'll be able to, given the ratio, we'll see as the week goes. Weeks go on, but uh, for sure he's going to be a fixture in there now. There's no way they can take him out of the out of the lineup now. Yeah, Carlton Agadosi looks to be the odd man out, at least for the short term, as the Bombers try to make sure they they make way for McRae. And as you mentioned, Bob, he, he was on the roster, I think, uh, for 13 games last year, but his his numbers were not impressive, except when he touched the ball. Every time yeah, he touched the ball, he he made something happen. Well, he has a mixture of quickness and speed that, uh, you know, is what every team wants from their offensive players in football. And when he gets a chance to display it, as we saw the other night, boy, he can be a real threat. So he's in there for sure. Now, I don't know when Kenny Lawler, when and if Kenny Lawler comes back, they're going to have to make a very difficult decision Mm -hmm. in that area because uh, they can't keep them all on the roster. Okay, Blue Bombers, uh, their defense appears to be back, Bob. Uh, they are doing some pretty impressive things, in particular the last couple of games, and you could argue four of the five games they've been they've been quite good. What do you think the key to them finding their rhythm has been or, or is maybe becoming? Well, the last two games in particular, Greg, uh, Jackson Jeffcoat was back in the lineup. They've given up 14 points in the last two games, and Jeffcoat – when he's on the field and playing, and he's been hurt a lot, as we all know, he just makes that defensive line, everybody in that defense better because you have to account for him. So Willie Jefferson has more opportunities. Adam Big Hill had a big game the other night. He had seven tackles. Uh, they've just come together, I think. They held Calgary quarterback Jake Merido 127 yards passing. Boy, when you can do that in the CFL, when you can hold a team to 127 yards passing, you have done some job on defense. So... They're just meshing together. they got some new faces in there, uh, players who are playing more than they have in the past, but it's all kind of coalescing now into a, a unit that uh, should remain strong all season long, and they've been outstanding the last two games. Hey, Bob, you mentioned just going to the game and sitting in the stands. How are you enjoying going to the like watching Blue Bombers games just as a fan? Well, I'm enjoying it thoroughly. I, when they're on the road, I you know I watch on television and listen to CJOB, of course, and I get kind of nervous if things aren't going well. It's funny, I, I've become a super fan. My <laughs> wife and I sit and watch the games on TV, and I sat in the stands the other night, and you know what struck me? There was 31,000 people there, almost 31,000. The atmosphere, and I've said this before, the atmosphere at IG Field is just over the top. Everybody's having a good time. They use those big jumbotrons in a very effective way to entertain the crowd. Uh, You know, in the crowd shots that you see on TV and on the jumbotron when you're there, everybody's having a ball and they're making noise. And, you know, a big part of it is that the Bombers win all the time. And, of course, that's easy to get excited about and everybody to go crazy over. But it's quite and it's loud. It is really loud down there. Uh, you know, I could tell that in the broadcast booth when I was doing the games, but it really hit home the other night that for three hours, there's a constant din and it sort of ebbs and flows, but uh, it's just a great place to be. It's funny, I bumped into a, a fan before the game and it was the first time he'd ever been to IG Field. He had never seen the stadium and the game hadn't started, but he'd walked around it. I said, what do you think? He said, I'm blown away. I cannot believe how beautiful this stadium is. And I would say to anybody who hasn't been, and there are lots of people who haven't been to IG Field yet, uh, do yourself a favor. Go to a game. Uh, you, you have no idea what you're going to let yourself in for, and you will enjoy it. Ten seasons in, and you're right, Bob, there are still Blue Bomber fans that haven't been to Blue Bomber games at IG Field for whatever reason, and it was loud on Friday night. That music, I think, was next level uh, on Friday night, and, of course, uh, the almost 31,000 in attendance did their job. It, it is quite the atmosphere. I enjoyed the game in the second half uh, with uh, friends and family, and not necessarily something I always do, but I had a blast on Friday night. Great to catch up with you, my friend. 
Yeah, I'm looking three weeks down the road now. The BC Lions will be back in Winnipeg for a rematch. Michael Shea will be looking ahead to Ottawa this week, but I'm looking three weeks down the road because the Lions had a win last night. They're four and one, and they're doing a little talking, you know, about being the best team in the league. So I'm really looking forward to that rematch on August the 3rd. Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Anytime, gentlemen. And the next episode of the Blue Bombers podcast. That'll drop tomorrow afternoon. We'll record that tomorrow morning. Uh, get Derek Taylor's views. Uh, we're going to bring in, I think, Christian O'Mell next week, or this week, uh, for his interpretation, his view of what happened on Friday night and uh, take a look ahead to uh, Ottawa coming up this weekend. You can subscribe to that podcast at cjob.com. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We're asking you for a chance to win bomber tickets for Thursday, July 20th against Edmonton. What's your favorite wacky commercial and why? And I see that we've got one here from SCTV. Yeah, many of you pointed out and pointed to this fictitious business from this beloved Canadian produced and film variety show. That's right, Texan and the Boyle are back with a new venture. We're now the proud owners of Texan and the Boyle's Prairie Warehouse in Curio Emporium, right, Tex? That's right, Edna. So that was, I think they had the Oregon Emporium, and then they had the uh, the Warehouse in Curio Emporium. Where you find the world's largest prairie dog, climb to the top of JoJo's head. You can see your hometown from there, right, Tex? That's right, Edna. Sit in Wyo Bill's desk chair in Troy by Lloyd's of London. Smell Annie Oakley's saddle on your way to the stuff. Woodchucks, where you don't go by the tag price. Ask for the discount, right, Tex? That's right, Edna. Let Chucky, the baseball player, <laughs> I love how he, he's, he's offering a lot. He's bringing a lot oh, to yes. the table. Yeah, yes, dear, is basically the equivalent. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for that. That's Tex and Edna's Boyles Prairie Warehouse and Curio Emporium. We had a couple of suggestions uh, for this one as well. From 1993. There's a proven winner in mustard. In a nationwide taste test, Hellman's Dijon Ace Creamy Mustard Blend beat the leading mustard by two to one. You know, when I opened up that lunchbox and I saw that my sweetheart had made that ham sandwich with delicious Hellman's Dijon Ace, well, I knew I was in love. Oh, nothing beats my Hellman's Dijon I know that's a beloved song, but I have to wonder if, for those of us old enough to remember The White Shadow, they sang that song in the shower, a post-practice or post-game one time, Duke of Earl, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And this is right around the same time. So I wonder if that had any influence on Hellman's making that commercial. Potentially. It's a good ad, too, because I'm really craving a sandwich now. But uh, our winner is Brandon W. for suggesting this. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Hi, I'm Al Harrington, president and CEO of Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Thanks to a shipping error, I am now currently overstocked on wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men, and I am passing the savings on to you! Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. It's actually not a real commercial. I think it might be based on one. But it's a family guy gag. And Brandon says, this commercial is always stuck in the back of my head because my coworker is obsessed with them and is always saying, wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. And then it gets stuck in my head. So Brandon says, I bought him a mini one on Amazon. It was 20 bucks and uh, 17 inches. It's a desktop Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. So Brandon, almost just for the fact that we get to say yes, wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man is part of our workday. Do you have to read that every single time, or have you got it memorized? I, I I still have to read it. I tried it a couple of times when I was on location at River City Ford a few weeks ago, and I botched it, so I had to re-record. Wacky waving inflatable inflatable tube man. Am I am I, am I missing one word there? Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing oh, tube man. arm flailing. See, yeah, there's just too many components there. <laughs> it took a while to memorize it. So, Brandon, congratulations. Thanks for the laugh. You're going to the Bomber game on July 20th. This was an event so harrowing and compelling It became a movie, which aired on ABC in 1995. 
A state-of-the-art aircraft. She's brand new. On a routine commercial flight. We're charged up and ready to go. Carries unsuspecting passengers. What was that? That's not right. Lost in their stories of love and fear. I hate flying. 174, this is Winnipeg. Do you read? Of missed opportunity. I don't want it to be too late, Frank. And hopes for the future. Winnipeg Center. We've got a bigger problem than we thought. That plane's coming down! 63 separate lives that become connected to a single destiny. We still have fuel starvation. Get out of there! No hydraulics, no power, no transponder. We must have dropped off the screen in Winnipeg. It's gone! I lost it! When flight 174 runs out of fuel at 41,000 feet. Left engine's flamed out. Just received reports of a Canada World Airways flight in distress. We won't make it! This plane's going down. Sir! Shut your stupid mouth. Now, all anyone can do is pray that Captain Pearson... We're we going down. I hell, we're going down. ...can do the impossible. William Devane, Shelley Hack, Nicholas Torturo, Winston Record, and Marriott Hartley are plunging towards a free fall. This is a mayday. Free fall, Flight 174. That is the trailer for the movie Freefall Flight 174, based on the real events of July 22nd, 1983. So Bob Pearson, played by William Devane, is the name of the actual pilot. The actual flight number was Air Canada 143, and the events culminate on a runway on the western shores of Lake Winnipeg, just west of Gimli, just like it does in the movie. The story is as intricate to Gimli's history as any Vikings tale. Peter Grant of the Gimli, Gimli Glider Committee joins us now on the start. Peter, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. We appreciate that. Now, obviously, that movie trailer, uh, they tried to fictionalize somewhat. At least they changed some of the facts. But as I remember it, and after being at your museum just a couple of weeks ago, and from what I know, they depicted uh, much of what actually happened quite accurately. Yeah, it's based on the movie, uh, on the book, uh, uh, Falling from the Sky. Um, and it was... Um, made into that movie. William Devane starred as uh, Captain Bob Pearson, yes. And um, it, it, it was fairly accurate. It just, it just wasn't A-class. It wasn't an A-class movie. <laughs> it was absolutely accurate as to what went on to a certain extent. There was, uh, I mean, Bob Pearson as a pilot, is uh, he was a real cool guy. And we always tell you that. He, he acted uh, so confidently and, and so focused and and, and when were we, we compliment him on it, he says, yeah, but you didn't see the back of my shirt, did you? <laughs> and I know that you, he had to sweat it in. What he did with that plane as a pilot was never done before. As a matter of fact, the Boeing engineers did not even put that in their simulators. I think their thinking was if you lose both engines, uh, that's called a dead stick landing. If you lose both engines, uh, <laughs> don't bother try to fly the plane. Just write your will on the way down. But Bob was a, 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 a glider aficionado in the Montreal area. As a matter of fact, he taught glider training. And uh, so when he lost both engines at 41,000 feet over Red Lake, Ontario, he just took the yoke and he started to glide that plane. And he had no heads up as to uh, how, how to get to Winnipeg. He knew how to get there, but would he make it? Did he have enough altitude? Uh, he started at 41,000 feet, lost the second engine at 35,000 feet, and he put it on a 2% glide slope to keep the speed up so he'd have lift on the wings. And uh, with uh, no engines, you lose your electricity, so he had no, no flaps, no slats, no, no speed brakes, no, no nothing. He had up, down, left, and right, and that was it. And it wasn't until they got to around Clandeboy, just north of Selkirk, that uh, his uh, first officer, Maurice Quintel, figured out that they were losing 2,500 feet per minute in that glide slope and that Winnipeg was, uh, they had enough air underneath them to go 14 miles. And Winnipeg was 19 miles away. But first officer Quintel said, 16 years ago, I took my jet training in the Air Force at the town of Gimli, and there is a jet runway at Gimli. Where is it, said Bob. He says, well, four o'clock position over your right shoulder. So they made a 90-degree turn gliding this plane with 61 passengers and, and eight crew, and they couldn't find the, uh, the well. It had been 16 years since he took the training, he, trying to figure out the sequence of towns from Clan to uh, Petersfield to Matlock, and they're looking for the runway. Didn't realize that when the Air Force pulled out of Gimli in 1971, 
They didn't need two 7,000-foot runways. They only needed one. So they decommissioned one of those runways, and it's topped in concrete, which is white. And the, still the active one today is still there, and uh, it's uh, topped in asphalt, which is dark. He's flying into the sun at about a quarter to nine at night, and finally Maurice Quintel said, there's the runway, and he saw the white concrete runway. We had leased that out to the Winnipeg Sports Car Club. And they're still using it today. So that was race day that they had finished. They were barbecuing, family day. It's around quarter to nine at night. And Bob saw that white runway. He focused in on it. But to slow the plane down, he had to turn it sideways. So the whole fuselage would be bearing against the wind to slow it down. Landing speed should be at about 140 knots. He was doing 220 knots at that point. And when he got to the runway, he was too high. And so he put it into a forward slip, something you would only do if you're flying a 500-pound balsa wood glider. He's got a 130-ton jet plane. He put it into a forward slip and dropped down at 2,500 feet in about six or seven seconds and then physically pulled it out of the dive and straightened it out 40 feet above the ground and made an absolutely perfect landing on the runway, except the front nose gear hadn't locked into place. It needed electrical assistance, and because he had no engines, he had no electricity, and it folded back into the body of the plane, and the nose hit the ground, and actually played a big role in, hop, in stopping the plane from running off the end of the runway. He did see the fence that the race car people had put down at the far end of the runway, uh, an aluminum fence, and he used differential braking to bring the plane up against that, and that's what stopped the plane at the end. But everybody was, absolutely everybody was safe. Real feat of, uh, of, of piloting a plane. Our guest is Peter Grant of the Gimli Glider Committee as we approach the 40th anniversary of that day, July 22nd, 1983. And Peter, can you tell us a little bit about the impact of these events on aviation around the world? First thing that happened was about within three weeks, every airline in the world that were flying Boeing planes, and back in 83, it was most everybody, maybe except not Aeroflot, but everybody said, why isn't that landing in our simulator? And Boeing said, because we can't simulate what Bob did. We crashed three times already. And they said, well, if we can't train our pilots on that, why should we buy your plane? So they got to get a hold of Bob and bring him up to Seattle and put him on the simulator. And when he showed them what he did, they said, oh, my gosh, that plane wasn't built to do that kind of stress. And Bob said, you know, the alternative was death, and I'm not ready for death. So figure it out. I did it. You can do it. And they did. And the plane became very successful. The other thing is... Everybody had to take, we, well, back then, they used to call it glider training, but in reality, um, I, um, I also volunteer at the Winnipeg Airport once a week as a Goldwing ambassador, and I talk to pilots as they come through, and I say, what do you know about the Gimli glider? They all know it, and I say, did you take glider training? He said, we don't call it glider training. It's either a dead stick landing or <laughs> landing a plane without engine thrust is the way they <laughs> phrase it. But basically, when you get down to it, it's glider trading. And all the major airlines make sure that all their pilots now know how to do that. And uh, that's, you know, something you have in your back pocket as a pilot. Right. So that is safety. By the way, that happened with Air Canada back in 1983. It was a Crown Corporation. And uh, maybe a little slow on the safety features, but the Air Canada of today is an entirely different company that's privately, and it's uh, listed on stock exchange, and there are aviators who are running it. It's probably one of the safest airlines in the entire world. You may uh, recognize our guest's voice, Peter Grant, a member of our team here at 680 CJOB in the past. Uh, Peter, I have to uh, give a shout out to one of our loyal listeners, Bart Carr, who emailed me on the weekend just to give me a heads up on this 40th anniversary. I was just at your museum and was blown away by it, but didn't put the math together on the 40th anniversary. So uh, you're used to working against the clock in this business. You've got 45 seconds to tell us what's planned for July 22nd. Okay, that's Saturday night, 40th anniversary, dinner and dance. Uh, tickets are on sale today, and uh, then the, uh, you can pick them up at the Gimli Glider in Gimli, or you can phone us at um, uh, area code 604-204-642-5577, or you can go online at GimliGlider.org, and on the left side of every page, you'll find a little button that says buy tickets. You can buy it there, pay for it there. But the cutoff is Wednesday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for tickets, and they're going pretty fast. 
had a phone call from people uh, over in the UK over the weekend. They, they're flying in for it. And we're going to meet Bob Pearson, the captain. He'll be here, the man who landed the Gimli Glider. Peter Grant of the Gimli Glider Committee, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a treat. Thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. 204-642-5577. That's 642 or org. And again, the cutoff to get your tickets is Wednesday at 4 o'clock. I highly recommend the museum. If you're anywhere near Gimli, it is worth on its own. The deviation from whatever plans that you may have. I think they're closed Mondays and Tuesdays. So make sure you check the, uh, the hours. And uh, the other thing, Brett, Bob Pearson has said that when he passes, he wants his ashes to be spread in Gimli. Never lived there a day in his life. That's how important this event is in his life. Oh, and uh, by the way, Mike Maskell, uh, who's part of, uh, he's a part of the gliding community. Right. He's reminding us that on the occasion of the 35th anniversary of the event, the Winnipeg Gliding Club presented Captain Bob Pearson with an honorary lifetime membership with the club. So, Mike, thanks for that. And I would also be curious to know if this line from that movie trailer actually happened. This plane's going down. Sir, shut your stupid mouth. I <laughs> love it. I want to watch the movie just for that scene alone.